years back, I was driving uh, into the state of Michigan for a pastor's meeting. And while I was driving, I was listening to the podcast version of Pastor Mike Novotny when he said this. God didn't put the seed of faith in your heart without wanting, deeply desiring you to make a difference. And, and so God wants you to be the kind of person that when you leave that job, like something's missing because you changed it, you blessed it. That he blessed you that you could make that place better. That your brothers and sisters would be thankful that you are part of their family. That your neighbors would say, man, I've, I've lived on a lot of streets next to a lot of people, but I've never lived next to someone like this. I've been to a lot of churches with a lot of people who came and sang the songs and prayed the prayers, but man, the way people loved me in that place was, was so different. Like God, God wants you to be that kind of person. How do you feel about that? Does that describe you and who you are? This sermon series has promised to be about the new you that you can be because Jesus will change you. Jesus will form you to be the the best version of yourself. But we actually haven't talked about resolutions yet. We We haven't talked about who we can be in our lives we wanted to lay the foundation of, first of all, the, the value of your life and how God sees it. And then to recognize that we are blessed in every circumstance. But now, today, we want to talk about who Jesus has made you to be. And how Jesus allows you to make an impact in the lives of the people around you. I think we all want our lives to matter. We, we want them to, to make a difference. And Jesus says that they do. And so as we get together, as we think about a new year, it's important to understand that there are godly reasons that can motivate godly resolutions. Godly resolutions to do something and to be someone. In fact, what Jesus says in this famous speech that we're looking at, this, this sermon that he gave from the mountain, he says to us that you are the salt of the earth. And he says, you are the light of the world. That you, you will make a difference. Jesus says that his people will change the world. But he also says this. He says, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And he implies that people don't light a lamp and then put it under a bowl to hide it. And so maybe it hasn't been intentional. But do you recognize that maybe you have lost your saltiness? That maybe you haven't shined as brightly as you could? Or maybe you've, you've hidden yourself rather than encourage you when Jesus says that you are salt and light, does it, does it crush you a little bit because you know that you haven't quite been 
what Jesus says you are? And Jesus says that the nature of a Christian's life is to be noticed. It is to be apparent. It is to be something that you, you wear on your sleeves that everyone around you can recognize. You know, trying to hide who you are as a follower of Jesus is trying to deny who Jesus has made you to be. It's trying to deny the very essence of who you are. And when something loses its essence, well then it's worthless. Uh, I remember several years ago that we had a charging cord for our phones. And this charging cord, it had been severely abused mistreated in the worst of ways and so it was pretty broken like snapped in one spot the wires were exposed starting to fray out you could see you could tell but I thought I can fix it I can salvage it because I'm really cheap and I didn't want to buy another cord and so I wrapped some ugly black electrical tape it stood out against the, the white, pristine Apple charging cord, right? And then it happened. That day, you've had that day, right? Where all of a sudden you look down at your phone and the battery symbol has turned to red and it says 5% left and it's crisis mode because you know if that keeps going down, your whole life is going to come to a complete stop. But I had... The charging cord that I had fixed. And I plugged it in. Nothing. Now I'm waiting for the beep. That little lightning bolt symbol to show up on top of the battery. The, the five to change to a six. Anything to let me know that we're headed in the right direction. My life can go on. Nothing. And you can probably imagine what happened with that charging cord after that day. Right? It was trashed. It was thrown in the garbage. I had to pony up the $6 or whatever it was to get a new charging cord. <laughs> a charging cord is meant to charge your phone. And when it doesn't do that, it's lost its essence. It's lost its purpose. It is worthless. But could it be true that when God looks at our life, sometimes he sees a broken cord or a burnt-out lamp or saltless salt. And the truth is that he has and he did and he does, but that's what's so amazing about Jesus. That's what's so amazing about the Christian faith and what the Bible tells us and what Jesus himself tells us about himself because Jesus, he didn't just come to, to somehow try to fix us, to, to salvage the, the thing that we were, the, the brokenness of us. He didn't just come to, to slap a band-aid on us and call it good. No, Jesus came to fulfill everything which we had failed to fulfill. I mean, Jesus said it this way, as he reminds us that he didn't come to fix us, but to fulfill for us what we hadn't 
He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And that very last phrase, that means the world to you. That very last phrase changes your entire life. That very last phrase gives you hope. It gives you a future. It gives you joy. You know, sometimes we get the feeling that when Jesus came into the world, somehow God changed. That somehow his, his standards and his expectations for morality and perfection, that, that somehow those, those went away. And, and there's a part of us that probably wants to cast aside those standards, those expectations, because they're so high. But Jesus used these two very technical terms for God's Old Testament scriptures. The, the law referred to the first five books of the Jewish Bible, the first five books of our Bible today. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Books that laid out foundational historical truths about God's relationship with human beings, the expectations that he has, the expectations for holiness, righteousness. Those five books, they contain all kinds of laws that demand that holiness and righteousness. And then when Jesus talks about the prophets, that's the collected works of those messengers that God sent to call his people to return to him. To return to a true worship of the true God. To return to a proper obedience to those laws of righteousness and holiness. And so Jesus says that he didn't come to, to radically change how God operates or who God is. He did come to radically change the way that we think about God, but God doesn't change. And so Jesus says that he didn't come to deconstruct God's moral law, but rather to uphold it and fulfill it. To fulfill it completely, which is such good news for you and me. Because the unfulfilled law will crush you. The, the unfulfilled law will enslave you because you can't keep it. And if you're trying to, if, if that's the way that you are, are trying to base your relationship with God, if that's the way that you're trying to attain to heaven, to, to his reward, that if, that if you can just meet those expectations, those instructions, his desires for your life, that somehow, someday, you, you can get where you need to be, then you need to hear Jesus' blunt and soul-crushing words. For he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says that unless your goodness, your morality is better than the absolute best of all people, it will not be good enough. 
It will not be perfection. And you will never enjoy heaven. You will never enjoy God's presence. And whenever we think that it's our morality or our goodness, our good deed, our light that is the key to eternity, we're bound to fall. We set ourselves up to feel the sting of our own weakness. That we will get to a point where we just can't climb any higher. Where perfection is out of reach. And depression will settle in. But Jesus wants to give you a new mindset. Jesus wants to make you new. Jesus wants you to to realize what your relationship with God is truly based on. You see, if you are trying to fulfill and keep all of God's law in order to create a good relationship between you and God, then the motivation there, it's, it's all fear, all guilt. But Jesus has freed you from that kind of motivation. Jesus has freed you to recognize that you have a new life and a new purpose to live Jesus has freed you to understand a new motivation because he fulfilled the law and the prophets. He lived up to every single expectation of righteousness that God had. He lived a perfect life and it counted for you. It's been credited to your account. And Jesus also fulfilled all the promises that the prophets made. God laid on him the iniquity, the failings of us all. He was crushed for our sins. He was punished so that we could have peace. He is the one who gives freedom to the captives. And you and I, we were captive to sin and death. We were captive to the punishment of the law. But in Jesus, you are free. And so when Jesus says to you that you are salt and you are light, those are not commands. They're not obligations. They're not burdens. Those those are promises. Promises of whom Jesus has made you to be. Promises that Jesus can do the impossible. Promises that Jesus can make you salty again through his forgiveness and his peace. The promises that Jesus lights you up again and again. He sets you up on a stand. No matter how many times you've fallen off, no matter how many times your flame has flickered out, or you've snuffed yourself out through his forgiveness, his comfort, and his peace, he sets you up again. And so Jesus has freed you to joyfully live with a new purpose, a new life. Jesus has freed you to be salt. To be that salt and that light. Now, I've learned from some cooking shows that I've watched that salt often is used to really enhance 
and, and bring out the flavor of foods. It's already there, but you're just bringing it out more for people when you use salt. At the time that Jesus lived, salt was actually more useful, more beneficial as a preservation agent. So they used it for flavoring, but they also, and more importantly, used it to preserve things. And so when Jesus says that you are the the salt of the world, he's not telling you to just bring out the the natural goodness that's already there just to, to make the world more palatable. Because you know this world. You know that this world, it is dying. It is decaying on a daily basis. You know that morality has plummeted, that it's been in a free fall ever since the day after Adam and Eve chose to go their own path instead of following the righteousness of God. And so Jesus says you are salt. Salt that preserves this world. That stays off the decay and the corruption. That you can change this world as an agent of preservation. God has unleashed the members of his church to live for God's glory and change the world. And then God says, Jesus says to you that you are also light. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. And so by God's grace, he has lit you up. He set you on fire with his life, light that you might give light to the world around you. He doesn't hide you. He doesn't cover you up. He's not ashamed or embarrassed by you, but instead, he set you up on a stand to display his glory, his splendor to the people around you. And so Jesus isn't calling us to pridefully, arrogantly boast about who we are, but isn't this amazing? That Jesus would say to us, each and every one of us, I have set you up on a stand to be a light for those around you. I I want to display my glory through you. So naturally, when you think about a lamp or a light, people are going to strategically place that in the room so that it can give light to the entire room. That's what Jesus talks about. I think it helps us to understand how God has worked in our own lives. That whoever you are, wherever God has placed you, with whatever talents and abilities, whatever unique personality God has given to you, he has strategically placed you to be a light for the people around you. And think about the people that might walk into your room, that might walk into your light. Of course, we think about our, friend, our family, the people closest to us, but who else might be within the reach of your light? You are a light when you love your family and your children, your spouse, selflessly. When you put them first, (laughs) you are a light at school, in your classroom, 
for your classmates, for your teachers, for your professors, when they see a student who works hard and encourages others instead of tearing them down, who defends the weak and the helpless. You can shine as a light on the court or on the field. When your teammates see that you are someone who is able to balance competitiveness with self-control. And if you're that coach for those athletes, you can be a light for them and their families. When they're able to remember the coach who cared more about their character and their development than the win-loss column. At your place of work, you can be a light. When you're interested in engaging in teamwork and encouraging others to be the best employee that they can be for the good of the entire company. Who might be reached by your light? It's amazing what Jesus has done for us. When he says to us that we can let our light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you know what, you know what Jesus has done for you? He's changed every action of every day for you. Because every action, even the things that seem small, mundane, that wouldn't get noticed by anybody, Jesus says they're noticed by your Heavenly Father. They are an opportunity to let your light shine. And so those tasks, they're no longer mundane or small, but they are an opportunity to preserve this earth, an opportunity to bring glory to God. Jesus says, that you have been freed. You've been freed to change the world, to be salt and light. You've been freed from the motivations of fear and guilt, and instead, you've been freed to know the promises of Jesus. But we won't be salt and light if we don't become salt and light. And Jesus has freed us to do so By his death and resurrection, he has freed you to change the world, to shine brighter and brighter each and every day in this dark and decaying world. To find those godly reasons that will motivate godly resolutions for a new year.